Another action-packed week in the Emerging Game. And here on the Emerging Cricket Podcast, we have it all for you. Daniel Beswick here alongside Nick Skinner. Tim Cutler is on Challenge League duties with Vanuatu in Malaysia as they get ready to go there. But I'm joined with Nick in what's been a busy week of international cricket. How's things in Reykjavik, Nick? Well, I'm uh, I'm up during the sort of three or four hours of, of sunlight. So that's, uh, that's good. Um, yeah, busy time here. Coming into Christmas, a lot of, uh, you know, sort of European Christmas things happening, markets, whatnot. It's all very nice. Uh, good to hear. I'm sure it is a place that lights up during the Christmas period. December we've rolled into now, so it is uh, the spirit here in Australia, of course. A little bit of a different dynamic given it's summer down here, but uh, just as much fun. Not just on the cricketing front, also with the FIFA World Cup. There's been plenty yes. of uh, football fever around. Uh was up at 4am uh, watching Australia make the round of 16, which we're ultimately happy about, but won't bore everyone with all of that. We'll focus on uh, the cricket this week. And I think we could start with uh, Thailand playing the Netherlands in white ball tour, both a four-match ODI series and a four-match T20I series. The T20I series is underway with Thailand claiming a clean sweep in the ODIs. We'll start, I suppose, with that series. And I've got to say, Nick, I've been really impressed not only by Thailand's performances on the field, but also their conduct. They've almost gone a little bit full member here and and given, thrown out debuts and and chances for young players in bilateral series in matches that don't have a lot of context, which is a very full member move, given that they're not playing in the thick of uh, qualifying action or you know fighting for their life in in associate play or or a World Cup qualifier. So it's been good to see some new blood. I think we talked or we implored a couple of weeks ago that now was the time that we did see a couple of new players making a name for themselves in the tie ranks. We'll get to that in a moment. But a 4-0 series win for Thailand in the ODIs. As we record this week, the Dutch have tasted uh, one victory in the T20 series. But it's been largely one-way traffic for the hosts who have shown their quality. Nada can chance them again going from strength to strength than a, uh, a century on debut and uh, in Thailand's first official one-day international. We can talk about the, the qualifier last year and those matches not counting till the cows come home. But to, to bring it back to this particular series, Thailand, uh, at least in the one-dayers for now, have been excellent, Nick, and, and were deserved 4-0 winners. Yeah, it's interesting you, you talk about them being, uh, you know, making a full member move. They're now ranked number eight on the uh, women's ODI rankings table. Um, so, uh, you know, that that kind of puts them in, in that full member territory in terms of performances on the field. I think, yeah, just on that point of, of you know, the, these being bilaterals and not really related to anything. It was a question, you know, when Thailand, Netherlands and, and a couple of other associate nations were given ODI status for their women's teams was, you know, how many matches are they going to play? So it's good to see them organising some matches between themselves. Uh, the the next question will be, uh, you know, anybody outside that little group of, yeah, Thailand, Netherlands, uh, Scotland, USA. PNG. Yeah. If anyone outside that little group are going to give them any chances, uh, because, you know, as we've seen over the last little while, Thailand are definitely up there and, and able to compete. Uh, looking at the field, yeah, on the field, um, Chantam, of course, batting beautifully, uh, that ton, you know, especially. She also hit a couple of 50s and a 40. <laughs> so, yeah, very good form. Uh, topped the run charts with 267 in those four games. Um, but, you know, beyond that, where are the runs coming from for Thailand? Chai Wai got 
a score. But then aside from that, you know, nobody really stood up and that that's kind of a recurring issue for them. Uh, I know the pitches over in Thailand are, are a bit bit sluggish, so we saw more on the bowling side, um, a pretty dominant performance from the Thai. Nobody in any of the Thai bowling lineup went for more than four and over in, in the whole series. So, you know, <laughs> that kind of indicates the, the level of dominance that their bowlers showed, especially, you know, their spin bowlers on these on these slightly sluggish tracks. Nantita Bunsukam was was a good find for them. Uh, another spin bowler. They've really got a production line going, but she grabbed uh, four wickets in, in the last match uh, to really <laughs> derail the, the Dutch performance. The next step, I guess, as well as kind of building a slightly more reliable batting lineup, is just finding some seam bowling options because uh, as much as it's it's great to watch this this armada of of slow you know spin uh, slash I don't know slow medium almost you, you could describe some of them it, as is that the collective noun now an armada uh, of well it, it is for Thailand slow That's... Thai international bowlers <laughs> um, but you know it's it is great to watch them in action you know rolling through their overs and suffocating the batters and obviously being supported by by great fielding so it's it's a good it's a good strategy that plays to their strengths but you know they do i think need a, a, a bit of a just a pace spearhead somewhere along the line to to cut through if if the if the slow balls aren't um aren't pushing on but you know that said Sulapon Laomi uh coming through very well Tipacha Pudawong's growing into her role um as we said um Bunsukam, very impressive. Uh, Cam Chompu as well picked up a few wickets. I'm I'm not sure what is going on with Nataya Butchertam. Uh, she didn't bowl that much. Uh, she didn't really do very much with the bat either. Uh, so I, I don't know if she's kind of on, on the way out. I know Tipok still played uh, all four matches, but um, she also, she, she bowled a fair bit and she picked up a threefer in, in one of the games and, and she bowled quite well. Uh, her batting does seem to have uh, fallen by the wayside a little bit. I guess getting towards the end of her career, maybe the reflexes aren't quite there anymore. But yeah, so it, you're talking about it being a kind of a transitional period for them. And we are seeing some new players coming in. And if they can find just one good fast bowler, that'll really add an extra dimension to their bowling attack and make them a lot more dangerous rather than being a kind of a containing attack. It it was funny. We thought that Chinita Saturawang a couple of years ago would probably take that mantle I think is almost being a fast bowling spearhead as a sort of in-swing bowler that always kind of nagged batters and and we haven't really seen that if anything she's focused a little bit more on her batting so there's there's definitely phases that uh, these Thai players go through and the other one that we haven't really brought up yet is is Kano's action we don't think is legal to bowl with yet so she's been playing as a batter only um, which I suppose hand the ties are another challenge the benefit of all this is that they are quite a flexible side and they will have a number of bowlers at their disposal but I think what the the point you made there at the start given the the lack of runs is is a telling one and it's one where I think when we do see the next crop of Thai international talent that is one area where they definitely need to to, to find themselves a little bit stronger in. And you mentioned, you know, Bunsukum as the, as the young leg spinner coming through. Also, Bantida Lee Patana, uh, a 16-year-old keeper bat, made 26 in a one-day international debut. So there's probably hopes there that she'll eventually move up the order and be a stronger player with the bat as she moves into her work. Uh, and a keeper too, who looked 
pretty organized watching a bit of the stream as well. We know that, you know, Contronkai is, is tidy behind the stumps as well, but it's good to have that flexibility uh, in that match that Lee Batana played in. Uh, Contronkai also played as well. So if Lee Batana was to give them a little bit more strength on, on the batting side, that will definitely come in handy. I think the other thing too we probably need to acknowledge on the batting front for Thailand was, you know, at times they didn't really need to make a whole lot with the bat. We know that they put up 243 in the first match with Jeans, with Nadekin Chana making 100. They made 176 in the next game and defended that in an eight-run win. Made 227 and dominated with the ball again. And then they chased down 145 in the fourth one-day international. So they didn't really need the runs with the bat. But again, the question is, and it will be for a lot of these associates, if they are to sort of press on and, and play full member opponents is, you know, can they challenge with the bat? Because that's ultimately something that, that we see in the associate game is that the, the bowling a lot of the time is is fine and always challenges. It's always seemingly the batting that, that definitely struggles to, to move into that space and, and to dominate in full member cricket. But Thailand ticking all the boxes in, in Chiang Mai did look a little bit slow. So you could probably factor that in with a couple of the scores and then looking at the T20Is you know as we are recording worth noting that Friday and Saturday are the two T20Is to come Thailand winning the first by 10 wickets and then the Dutch actually getting the job done off the last ball of the game to win and chase down a target of 114 with Sterikalis dominating so just to bring it I suppose into the the Dutch side of things if Babette Delater who actually didn't make runs in this T20 international but Heather Seager stepping up with the bat making score but ultimately you know if, if Sarah Callis doesn't make runs the Dutch find it very hard to to make headway in at this level of international cricket and I think the the elephant in the room in terms of Dutch women's cricket is that we're not too sure how much longer they will have Sarah Callis at the disposal you know there's a lot of talk that uh, with her playing a lot more cricket in England, that's basically where she wants to base herself and, and play almost on a full-time basis. And whether or not it ends up meaning that she represents England by qualification, Nick, uh, it's certainly something that, that we'll be keeping an eye out on. But ultimately, at this point, you know, there's just not quite enough collective depth across Dutch women's cricket to, to really push, you know, the top associate members, at, at least on the one-day side, but but they are making, you know, some some ways on the T20 front, at least. Yeah, I mean, the, the Dutch women's team, yeah, as you say, very reliant on a couple of batters for, for runs. Um, Babette Delater, who uh, scored 159 runs in the series. Nobody else got past 100. Um, but yeah, Delater and Callis, the only ones to pass 50. I think it's Probably a bit optimistic to think um, Callis will, will play for England. I, I don't think she's really there. Uh, there's just a lot of depth as well in, in the English ranks. Um, so I, I think that's probably a while off unless she improves significantly. But, you know, on the other hand, I think it is pretty clear that she does want to be pursuing a professional career over in England. So, yeah, her availability is maybe more the question than, than whether she actually gets you know, selected to play for England. But yeah, um, aside those two, who else is, you know, where are the runs coming from? I, you just don't see it. Part of the problem is just the lack of domestic cricket being played for women in, in the Netherlands. There's not a whole lot of actual club cricket. There's there's only a handful of clubs. There's you know, maybe a couple of hundred recreational players at best. They just have a very small talent pool to be selecting from. And, and that's ultimately the problem is, is they just don't have enough people playing the game and that's a long-term problem and there's not a whole lot they can do about that in the short term you know even if you get a few prodigies picking up the bat and ball 
you know, at the age of 10 or whatever, you still got to wait uh, sort of five, 10 years before they're ready to, to, to play. So what do they do now? I, I don't know. It looks like they're probably more or less stuck where they are, which is unfortunate because, you know, the KNCB are trying, but yeah, uh, it does look like they're, they're kind of, um, they don't have the talent production coming through. Zwilling, I mean, Zwilling was okay with the ball. If, if we're going to you know, look for positives, um, took 10 wickets, including a Fifa. Uh, but yeah, they, they just don't really have the depth and, and there's not enough uh, quality coming through in, in the team. And before we move on, I, I think it's probably also just worth pointing out that after that 4-0 series win, Thailand have made their way onto the rankings table. Seemingly their matches in the qualifier counted retrospectively. I'm not sure what's going on with that. Um, the, the rankings formula is always <laughs> completely opaque. But, you know, can you imagine the excitement if Thailand's men's team were ranked number eight in in the world? Yeah. There would be a lot more attention uh, being put onto this. So I think it just kind of shows, you know, this is a point we've made before, but the amount of success that Thailand's women's team has had, if it was being replicated on the men's side, there'd be a lot more interest shown in, you know, giving them some extra help and um, potentially getting them into the, you know, regular playing schedule and, and full member chat and all of that. But because it's the women's team that's doing well, n- nobody seems to be uh, thinking about that. So for all the kind of discussions about equality that the ICC likes to have, it, it, it does seem like the key to success is having a good men's team rather than a good women's team. Yeah, it's it's a fair point to finish up on. So just to reiterate, the third and fourth T20Is are on Friday and Saturday all in Chiang Mai like the rest of the matches on tour. 1-1 currently in that T20I series and of course a 4-0 series win for Thailand. Uh, and Rod Lyle has the report of every single match on uh, com. So if you want to look at each match in depth, uh, head over there and check all of that out. Let's move to Namibia Cricket World Cup League 2 action there back-to-back try series we've just seen the conclusion of one and the start of a second we will look at the png usa namibia try series that's just been run and done the main storyline here is that the usa have finished their league two campaign they've played all 36 matches a good finish for them they won three out of their last four matches all at this try series it's meant that they finish on 35 points which barring a miracle, won't be enough for them to finish in the top three and they'll have to go through an extra playoff if they were to enter the Cricket World Cup qualifier next year. Uh, PNG, again, wedged at the bottom of the seven-team league and Namibia making a slight move into 32 points, uh, three back from the USA. So that's a win and a half. So two wins ultimately will get them over the USA with a match as we're recording actually on tonight between Scotland and Namibia in the next try series, which we might touch on. Uh, looking at this particular series that, that's just gone on, it's gone roughly the way we thought it would. I think maybe, if anything, USA overperformed and, and got the results in, in Namibia, although they, I think they seemingly enjoyed the conditions in Namibia as uh, a comparison to maybe their their poor showing in Papua New Guinea. It was the same three teams in the Tri-Series, just in a, a different location. As mentioned, PNG again, poor outside of Asad Vala, who even he would probably put up his hand and say he's not making enough runs, but there's just too much pressure on him to, to do anything. Namibia slowly making their move. They've got as we record here, 10 matches to go in the competition and a lot of it still at home. So you would think that they're in a 
pretty decent spot, although they've got uh, UAE actually hot on their heels in, in fifth, five points back. So I guess the dynamic of League 2 has been a little bit interesting as we've seen you know, some teams finish their cycle earlier than others. You know, Oman have been in the clubhouse waiting for the other six teams for what feels like forever now already added a, a nice little charm to this league too and by all reports we'll see a similar competition like this in the next cycle for the next world cup uh, and welcoming someone like the netherlands back in what might be an eight-team tournament that's not confirmed that just seems to be what the the general consensus is but looking at, at these teams in particular nick usa finishing their campaign and will be look, watching from afar they'll probably admit that they haven't done enough but they did show signs here in this particular series that they've got enough about them and if you know they do have to go through that playoff to get to the qualifier again they should be capable and they should have the manpower and, and the skills to ultimately get there yeah the usa is interesting you know they were so bad in that series in png and I don't know if that was just a blip or, or if uh, something's kind of changed in there, you know, within the camp or, or what. But yeah, a couple of personnel changes, as, as uh, Nate and I discussed in, in our preview, seems to have made, you know, done the trick. Um, Monang Patel, congratulations to him. He's just uh, snuck his way into top spot on the League Two runs tally. So uh, good effort uh, from, from Monang Patel. Scored a couple of 50s in this tri series. Uh, Provided a bit of reliability with the bat. Gajanan Singh as well um, did did his part uh, in the middle order. Um, you know, just these guys who were kind of doing nothing um, in PNG and, and over the last little while. Um, you know, they've they've come come back. They've reshuffled. They've regrouped. Yeah, it was a good effort to bounce back. Sneaker win against Namibia. Namibia will probably be disappointed they dropped a game. Um, they, you know, they are overall, I would say, a better team than the US. But you know, three wins from four games, you'll take that most times. Looking across, I mean, yeah, PNG. What more can we say? It's just the same thing again and again. Yeah. <laughs> Batting was uh, not good enough, aside from Asad Vala, um, who I, I think he top scored in every single game they played. So I mean, that should sort of tell you where, where they're at oh, um yeah yeah constantly collapsing even you know even on the game um that game against namibia where uh, png put up 236 but they had three half centuries and a 37 in the top four you know they were in a good position they were three for 200 ish in the early 40s of the over and then Tengeni Lungameni came in for Namibia and just totally wrecked them. And they, you know, <laughs> nobody else outside that top four got past double figures. So, you know, six for 42, great performance from Lungameni. Uh, Ruben Trompelman as well with, with four for 53 in that game. Cut out some of the top order as well. But, you know, the fact that even on days where the top order fires, they don't have enough support to back them up and they can't push on from, you know, being in three for 200, you know, they can't go from there to sort of maybe hitting 300 or, or even something like a 270 or 280, which would be a much more challenging total. And then Namibia got themselves into a real hole, uh, being uh, four for 60, five for 70, six for 100 and odd, you, you know, they're, they're in a lot of trouble. Uh, but this this goes back to a discussion we had earlier about the fact that they always you know they always scrap they always fight they're always trying to keep themselves in the game and Ruben Trumpelman so it's, it's a shame Tim's not on here because uh, he <laughs> t Tim believes that Ruben Trumpelman should be opening at least in T20Is and Ruben Trumpelman came out backed up his bowling performance and and hit 55 not out can bat yeah well I mean he's, he's a handy striker of the ball and um, he he got Namibia home and and that just kind of goes to all of PNG's problems, really. They're batting. There's not a whole lot aside from Asad Vala and and their bowling. 
you know, it's disciplined and, and they, they try hard, but they, they don't really have the, the strike power to push through. If if they do have an advantage, they can't press it. And, and then they, you know, they let other teams get away uh, when they should be, you know, bowling them out. And yeah, you know, their, their bowling would be okay if their batting was better and they had just a few more runs to defend. You know, having an, an approach where your bowling is kind of a disciplined uh, containment unit, you know, that's fine if you have the runs to defend, which they just never do. So, yeah, I mean, I know we say this every time PNG play, but PNG keep doing the same thing. So, what do you expect? Um, Namibia, on the other hand, yeah, they got out of jail against PNG. They were pretty convincing in their last game against the US, but the top order is just a bit wobbly. You know, there's a couple of times where, you know, in that game against PNG, the top order didn't do a whole lot. Um, the, The loss against the USA, the top order didn't really perform... Um, even in this game that's ongoing against Scotland, they'll have to bowl well because the top order struggled and it was down to Erasmus once again to dig them out of trouble and, and he ended up on 90-odd on not out to get them to a, a defendable score against Scotland. But, you know, they can't just leave all the work to Erasmus or, or you know, Trumpelman or Smith down the order. You know, the guys at the top need to start performing a bit more consistently. And if they do perform in the way that they did in that last ODI against the USA, they're kind of at least getting starts, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, then that puts a much more solid platform for someone like Erasmus or Smith to come in later and and really launch from. And yeah, even if they can perform like that a bit more consistently, they'll be a lot harder to beat because it won't just be, you know, Erasmus, Smith or nothing. One one quick shout out I want to do for Namibia is Bernard Scholz, who just completely bamboozled the US in the four matches against them in the last two League Two series. He's bowled 37.5 overs, six maidens for 81 runs and 12 wickets. Now that's a bowling huh. <laughs> that's that's a bowling average of 6.75 and a commentary rate of 2.1 and a strike rate of 18.9. So um, <laughs> he's he's actually got his bowling average up to the second best ever in ODI cricket. Uh, so good effort from from Scholtz there. And as we've seen a lot, the USA just cannot handle left-arm spin. They are allergic to left-arm orthodox, aren't they? I was just about to make the same point. And, and Bernard Scholtz is a bit of an unsung hero in this Nubian team. Goes about his business quietly. That left-arm author who's bowling that nagging line and length, just annoyingly always at the right-hander and stifling, not giving much room to free the arms, I suppose. A, a big sort of buzz sentence in in international cricket and I think Namibia are struggling and in the top order only because you know they, they've lost Craig Williams in the last 12 months and he's been a big miss or, or, or a big he's left a big hole in uh, Namibian cricket I That's think more point, on the 50 yeah. over side than the, the T20 side the young top order crew are just taking a little bit longer to, to flood themselves into the team I think they will get there eventually. It's just a case of a lot of associate members in a similar spot to Namibia just don't have anyone else in that position just to kind of put there as a stopgap. You really do have to to keep on putting the faith in, in the in the young players that they've got, you know, the likes of Loverens, Lecoq, Lofty Eaton, and I think they will come through eventually. It's just a case of when Gerard Erasmus again... By the end of this cycle, I think he'll lead the runs across the competition. Just looking at it now, he's on, I think, fourth as we record here and by the time this probably goes out he probably goes a little bit higher but uh he's played you know 10 fewer matches than the two uh out of the three above him on that list it's only Aaron Jones who played 31 matches who has a a comparable kind of record but he averages almost 50 in in the competition and that's wherever you are playing and especially on associate wickets and slow outfields that's 
almost world class uh, at any level. So it goes to show that the, the numbers don't lie with him. I just want to go back to, to PNG again and just looking at, at their tournament numbers as grim as they are. And, you know, if you were to look at the batting side of things, Asad Vala has, has carried the team and averaged 40 admirably. Uh, he's made almost 1,100 runs. The next best on the list is Charles Amini, uh, with 560 runs at an average of uh, 22. And he's done some of that with a broken finger. And you look through the list and there's just not enough input there with the bat at all. But if you go to the bowling, and I think this has been covered up by the fact that the batting hasn't been that great. Chad Soper's the leading wicket taker in the cycle with 28 wickets at an economy of four, an average of 31.39. Asad Vala's the second leading wicket taker in the group as well with his off breaks. So Yeah, underrated bowler, honestly. He is probably an underrated bowler. And I'm glad that he does bowl himself enough, even with so many bowling options that PNG have at his disposal. But you look through the list, you know, outside of those two, Norman Vanua taking... 22 wickets. Nasana Pakana, who for whatever reason has been out of favour in, in the PNG setup, has 19 wickets at an average of 19.63. Jason Keeler has six wickets in four matches, but outside of that, they just haven't really made any headway with the ball either. And that's so crucial in, in League Two, where sometimes, you know, runs are at a premium. And yeah, we can talk about the batting till the cows come home. And I, I, I do think that. It's definitely the the facet that PNG is struggling with more out of the two. And I think also as well, the third facet, the, the fielding facet, along a lot of the time we've made the point that PNG are one of the best fielding sides in the associate world, at least. I don't think that that's been the case in the last League 2 cycle. I think they've been a bit flat in the field, and it's one fundamental that I think they've literally and figuratively dropped the... <laughs> ball on in the last couple of years as well and that was definitely something that you know they really prided themselves on and I, I don't think that's really transitioned into this new phase of PNG cricket and we know that they've had some shuffles on the coaching side as well Mark Cole's in there at the moment and again we're not really sure if if that's a stopgap measure or he will be there on a, on a permanent basis so look they'll go obviously into the playoff like the rest of the the four teams that don't make the seven so from that aspect you know there's not a whole lot of damage but we talk about the likes of odi status potentially being stripped away from teams and that is all quite ambiguous at the moment and very unclear as to what happens we've also heard rumors that they might get a reprieve or at least some form of recompense because they didn't play a whole lot of league two matches on home soil up until about you know a few months ago so that's Definitely a discussion that we'll have to, to bring up at a later date. But I look at some of the Challenge League teams, and we, we will bring up the, the Challenge League preview in a moment, Nick. But PNG are essentially playing like a, a Challenge League team at the moment in, in you know with the greatest deal of respect. And one can argue that they were lucky even to be in this position in the first place after everything that happened at World Cricket League 2 in 2019. And I don't need to bring that up with you again, Nick, because I know that it's a sore spot from from when you put the, the Canadian hat on. But there's nothing in this PNG side that tells me that they're not at Challenge League standard. And looking at the numbers in the league table, they're by far and away the, the worst team in, in the competition. And it's both down to, I think, some poor leadership on the coaching front in times gone past. I think that Mark Cole's I think the jury is still out because he hasn't been there long enough. But I think the players need to look at look at each other in the eye and, and say that it's, it's not being good enough and, and things need to change if, if they are to, to challenge the, the teams in, in this echelon of the international game. 
Yeah, again, I mean, how many times can we, uh, you know, go over the same the same things again and again? The problem is, you know, you look at on the coaching and say, well, you know, what's the coaching doing? Why aren't they getting results? But I mean, the players don't change. So why would the coaching necessarily change a whole lot with that? And then, you know, where is the next lot of players coming from? That's a whole other question. You know, how do they plug that gap that we... we you know, we keep talking about that they have a, a large number of you know kids on the recreational end picking up a bat and ball. Yeah. But then where do they go? Do they? Is there a structure for those kids if they're any good to come through, or is it? Yeah, it just seems like they're doing the same things and, and expecting different results, which <laughs> doesn't usually lead to to good outcomes. Um, just looking at the points table, though, I mean, aside from PNG, who yeah are definitely going to finish last. Namibia and UAE seem to be the candidates to take the USA for that third spot. Uh, Scotland, you would think, uh, uh, with eight games in hand, are probably going to do enough to stay in that top three. So there's really, you know, two, three teams, if we include Nepal, who, yeah, a lot of disruption, but they still have 16 games in hand. So a lot of uh, road to run for them. So sort of two or three teams fighting for that one spot to to jump past the USA. It's going to be an exciting little back end to this League 2 tournament. Um, But, you know... Let's say the speculation is right and the, the ICC kind of go with the obvious answer and, and chuck Netherlands back into the mix here. I mean, that really shakes things up because let, let's say Canada moves up, who I, I think are definitely a lot better than PNG at the moment. Yeah, that's a pretty strong table if you've got mm. Netherlands on top here, plus Canada, who have beaten Nepal recently as well. Although Nepal, uh, in a home series, beat the UAE a couple of times. So the next league too, assuming it happens in some guys, not 100% sure what it's going to look like. You know, that's going to be a great tournament. And, and this one's been very good as well. So, you know, this, this often gets lost in kind of the discussions around, you know, the pathways and World Cups and event sizes and, and all that sort of stuff. This has just been a really good product yeah. for the ICC. And what are they doing with it? You know, that we've talked a bit about their promotion not being good enough, which I would agree with that. Uh, the streaming... Obviously, ICC TV uh, is notorious for for crashing. That's kind of more of a technical thing that you would imagine is relatively within their power to fix. But, you know, you have a bunch of teams here who are all pretty evenly matched and producing good, exciting cricket and, and unpredictable cricket. This is something that you should be able to sell. And this is something that you should be able to you know get people tuning into and, and getting interested in. And I, I just don't, you know, what are they doing with it next cycle? There's There's been no chat about that at all. They've dropped the Super League as well, which again, same thing. We have Joss Butler complaining about meaningless one-day bilaterals. Well, instead of having meaningless one-day bilaterals ad infinitum between full members who've played a million times already, why can't the ICC do something with this fantastic product that they have and and get a bit more interest in the game? Yeah, we we say this every time, but (laughs) this is just a great product and and they're not not doing enough with it. And this has been, I suppose, one of the lasting effects that the League 2 will have. Teams have played 36, well, will play 36 one-day internationals in the cycle. And you've taken the pressure off somewhat in that, yes, matches still have context like the old World Cricket League days, but every team has the opportunity to, to get into their work and it's not as cutthroat as those old tournaments as, as fun as they were from a neutral standpoint I don't think it was ever really that sustainable for a lot of these players who are you know trying to make ends meet in in cricket and a lot of them still working outside of cricket as well due to the the nature of of the professional game so this level of international cricket is now so much richer for what league two has brought to it and as you mentioned you know if the Dutch come down into this competition and you say Canada comes in 
it's a strong eight that I think ultimately only bloods better international cricket and moving into back to a 14-team Cricket World Cup. And ultimately, I think if we're honest with ourselves, it's still not the best possible outcome, a 14-team one-day international Cricket World Cup. There is a little bit more of a chance for some of these teams to make headway like they have done in, in T20 World Cups of the last two years. So it's it's a good opportunity in there. But again, the other point that you sort of touched on there was the Super League not ever really given the chance to to show how good it could potentially be there were so many variables over the last two years in the world that we've lived in how can you categorically and definitively rule out the super league as a viable structure for one day international cricket a format that is so desperate to have some context and some relevance in the international game in 2022 i know we'll talk about this more when the final nail is in the coffin and and the news ultimately comes out as to how you know one day international cricket is, is structured moving forward but you know you only have to look at that australia england one day series that they played straight after the t20 world cup and how little anyone cared about it one because i think we've just been overdosed on international cricket especially straight after a global tournament and there's no context surrounding it the players don't want to be a part of that you know the players don't want to be there and, and play in it um, and that's going to be a fallback of, of no super league going forward and and again just to kind of put a loop on on the point how can you definitively say that the super league has not been a success when you've prevailed through COVID, and there's still so many storylines as you head into the last six months of the cycle for it where you're going to get a south africa or a sri lanka or a west indies or ireland in a qualifier for the cricket world cup next year in a 10-team tournament and yes, we know that the 10-team tournament is not what we want to be in it, and it ultimately won't be what one-day international cricket will be. But it goes to show that there's enough quality around to give those teams a good shake, you know, next year's qualifier in Zimbabwe. I don't think that's going to be an easy path for, for any of those teams. And again, there's just too many variables to categorically rule out the Super League being a viable structure of international cricket going forward. And again, in one-day cricket, where it's the awkward middle brother in the three formats of the international game that we have at the moment. And look, I, I can't wait to see the good things that come out of what ne- what's next. It's just a struggle to see what it is. If it is an eight-team league two, you know, from an associate point of view, we're never going to run out of quality cricket and, and quality players. But, you know, what cost is that going to be? And just to kind of wrap up league two, unless you've got anything more, Nick, we, we've seen... Uh, Scotland begin their tri-series campaign in Namibia. Brandon McMullen's been given a one-day international taboo. We'll talk about this tri-series, I think, a little bit more in next week's show when it's uh, ultimately finished. But Scotland, one of the form teams in the competition, uh, playing Namibia as we do record. Um, so we don't really have anything definitive outside of Gerard Erasmus making more runs in the first innings of the first one-day international. But Callum McLeod retiring, um, which is disappointing. McMullen comes into the team. A lot of big talk from the Scottish players, especially in the lead-up to the T20 World Cup. I know he didn't play T20 World Cup cricket, Brandon McMullen, but they see him as as the future of the game in, in Scotland. And I'm sure Richie Barrington's got that side well drilled. And, and I think ultimately they'll find themselves in the top three here, whether or not they have a, a bad sort of uh, tri-series here or not. I think they've got the, the points on the board and, and the money in the bank to, to finish in the top three. Yeah, like I said, I can't see them... Uh, falling out of the top three. Four points back on Oman, sorry, and, and eight games left in hand. I think yeah. I think they're pretty safe. They they're gonna they're gonna get at least you know two two wins in that time. 
uh, possibly even one by the you know by the time we finished uh, putting this pod out. But yeah, so uh, yeah, Scotland definitely the favourites once again. As as we've said, the Super League um, being cancelled means that that race for top spot is kind of not really that important, and it's just all about finishing in the top three. Uh, so yeah, that's that's disappointing. But I guess we don't really need to go over that again. Um, but yeah, I mean Scotland, they've been the form team. They've they've just got quality up and down. Uh, the the batting order, their bowling. If if anything, there is kind of the weakness for them. Um, but you know they've they've still got a lot of quality there as well with the the left arm orthodox duo. Once again, left arm orthodox causing all sorts of problems with with um, you know Hamza Tahir and, and Mark Watt. Uh, yeah, I, I don't really see who's going to be able to, um, to to jump jump past them on that points table. So yeah, Scotland heading to top spot, which um, you know. Imagine if the Super League was still going, and then they could potentially, uh, you know, jump into the Super League and get regular fixtures against against top teams. That'd that'd be good, wouldn't it? But uh, alas, not to be. Yes. Moving to the echelon below, a couple more things that we want to get through today: both Challenge League and Africa Sub Regional A qualifying for the 2024 World Cup as well. We'll go to the Challenge League. Uh, teams have travelled to Malaysia. It's the last leg across both of the groups. One group's already done. This group with one leg remaining. Canada running away with it. It would take, I, I think, something monumental to happen in Malaysia for them to slip up and not top the group. Uh, Singapore doing the or most of, of the chasing, although Denmark is around as well. And then you've got Qatar, Vanuatu and, and and Malaysia making up the bottom three. And there's talk about the future shape of, of what this competition or what this echelon of the international game will look like. And uh, every team basically has something to, to fight for, almost uh, maybe with the exception of, of Malaysia in last. But your boys, Canada, again, to put your, your cap on, I know you've got uh, an affinity with, with Denmark as well, Nick. But again, can't see them slipping up from here. Um, a couple of big outs of Vanuatu that we'll talk about, um, as Tim's mentioned during the week. Uh, but yeah, I, I just can't see Canada slipping from from where they are now. Yeah, no, they're they're two wins ahead of Singapore, so that means you know Singapore need to have two extra wins ahead of uh, what Canada do in, in the tournament. So let's say Singapore win all five of their matches, Canada would still need to lose three matches, which I just don't see that happening against this level of opposition. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I never feel confident in saying that Canada are safe, but I, I think they are pretty safe unless they really, really stuff up spectacularly and, and have a total shocker. And unfortunately, yeah, looking down the table, as you say, Singapore, they they looked pretty underwhelming. I know they, um, they're they still in second spot, but in, in that last Challenge League leg, they won... They won three matches out of five, and and they weren't really. Yeah, you know, they they could easily have lost another one or two, depending on you know if a few things had gone the other way. Uh, and Denmark looked more impressive than Singapore, honestly, and they won four out of five, only losing against Canada. But the thing is, you know, these three teams in the middle. I mean, maybe you know Singapore can catch Canada if if everything goes their way. But other than that, the real competition. There's three teams in the middle who aren't eliminated but aren't qualifying for anything, and and so just, that just makes a couple of these games a bit kind of meaningless. And and you know, let's say if the qualification cutoff was two teams and the Cricket World Cup playoff for next year had a couple of extra teams, just one extra team from each Challenge League, you know, then you'd you'd be having something that kind of 
reflects the old uh, WCL structure of two up, two down, and two in the middle. And that way, there's always something to play for. You know, even if you can't, you know, get into first place, you, you can probably sneak into second. And, and Denmark have a pretty good chance of overtaking Singapore. And even Qatar could overtake Singapore. But, you know, chances are that none of those other teams can get into first place, which is the only spot that really matters. And because of how everything's gone, you know, Vanuatu and Malaysia are already eliminated. And Vanuatu basically need a miracle to uh, <laughs> to to um, to catch up with Qatar as well, and I just don't see how or where that's coming from on on Vanuatu's side. So basically, we've got two teams already eliminated, one team that's pretty much guaranteed of getting through, and then three teams sort of in the middle fighting over not a whole lot. So yeah, I mean that's just something structurally that could have been a bit better. Uh, and just to uh, finish up on on Challenge League, you know, a couple of big losses for Vanuatu that their press release uh, mentioned in the days leading up. Andrew Mansali and Apollonaire Stephen not travelling, but Patrick Madautava is in the squad. He missed the, the last Challenge League series after that visa situation that he was in coming back from Denmark. So one in and, and two big players out, and that you know makes things a little trickier for them. Let's finish off with uh, Africa Sub-Regional A qualifiers for the ICC Men's T20 World Cup 2024. Sub-Regional B is underway as we record. But to go back to Sub-Regional A, uh, two teams progress to the regional final next year from both of these groups, uh, Kenya and Rwanda. In the end, getting through, although it was a little bit hairy there, especially for Kenya with so many rain-affected matches at the start of the tournament, they were eventually uh, prevailing. Colin Zabuya, the man who has been a rock for Kenyan cricket for so, so long, still doing what he does best. Uh, St. Helena got on the on the winner's list a couple of times there, one of our favourites for, for obvious reasons. Although, Nick, in the notes here, you make a good point that because of some of the, the rained out matches, they didn't play enough matches to get an ICC T20I ranking which is actually quite a, a loss for for a number of these teams a lot of a lot of things happened we've seen a, a Twitter account hacked by crypto scammers uh, Rwanda moving through and, and I think that went with the billing of this tournament they were the side that was probably second favorite I know that a number of teams made decent headway in in patches but this tournament sort of going the way that we thought it would uh, and looking at, at sub-regional B uh, we'll talk about that I, I think just to kind of wrap up as well uh, straight after here but yeah look I, I think this tournament went basically uh, as as we thought it would pretty much what you would think before the tournament but a few kind of uh you know maybe uh, breathless moments there for Kenya the rain in the end you know could Rwanda have uh, somehow maybe if they'd bowled first they could have got Lesotho out in that last game and, and got a, a five over match in or you know something along those lines who knows but yeah probably a fair reflection of the quality of the teams in that Kenya were definitely the, the the better side out of everyone here, and and Rwanda the second second in line. You know, next cab off the rank, they beat their regional rivals Botswana and Malawi. Um, you know, these guys who are kind of there or thereabouts. Botswana disappointing campaign for them, really. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I mean that that I don't know what's going on with their Twitter account, but um, yeah, they're they're posting some advertising for uh, various um dubious looking crypto services. So I can only assume they've been hacked unless 
Um, the uh, unless it's some weird long game that they're playing. Yeah, unless the the Botswana cricket handle has uh, discovered a, a sudden interest in, in cryptocurrency, but that would be strange. Uh, I don't know where they go from here. You know, the the, the Botswanas they they're sort of always at that second tier in African cricket, and it just doesn't seem like there's quite the quality coming through for them. Uh, you know, maybe they can find uh, some more players in the under 19s, but even you know, looking at their under 19s performances, they still you know they they they're not. They just seem stuck in that kind of middle tier of Africa, which you know is is a bit unfortunate because it would be good to be seeing more competition and you know like Rwanda who've who've really moved up the ranks and they've got uh, you know they're qualified for a regional final, which is that's that's a pretty good pretty good achievement already. Um, Saint Helena, uh, yeah, <laughs> the uh, the EC favourites partly because uh, EC was. Um, Came together over a over a Saint Helena match. Um, you know, yeah, get a little bit self indulgent. You and I were were, were tweeting about uh, how great it was to see Saint Helena in a in a <laughs> sub regional, and um, you know, Tim knocked our heads together in the digital world, and uh, and here we are a, a few years later. Uh, to to talk about this in more depth, I think I remember watching the the stream and and you chiming in on on Twitter. I thought the best thing that Saint Helena ever did was they sent a fielder down to the boundary where the camera was on the screen and had. Cricket.com on the back of their shirt in the best piece of advertising I think I've ever seen. Someone fielding and and in 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 sight of uh, where the camera was to uh, to get the name out there. It got the job done ultimately. Well, you're setting your field based on where the uh, yes. where the where the cameras are. Is uh, that that's 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 pretty sneaky stuff. Um, but yeah, there's a couple of good um good pieces up on the Emerging Cricket website by Alastair Bain. Yeah. Um, who just goes into a lot of detail about um, the the cricket in St Helena and you know some of the characters in the in the team and and kind of what it means to them uh, to to be participating here and although they didn't get through the regional finals um, I, I think they'd be pretty happy with two wins maybe they could have got one one more but you know a couple of games washed out as well so that didn't help so um yeah very happy to see them performing yeah and i mean kind of at at the other end of that we're we're not great um <laughs> lost every game still very much in the infancy uh, of their international cricket mind you yeah negative 5 net run rate which is yeah quite bad um so good to see them here and making their official T20I debut on the on the men's side. Um, so that's always good, getting more teams involved. Um, and you know you'll you'll never hear us uh, complaining about there being too many teams in a um, in a cricket tournament. Um, so so that's for sure. But um, yeah, a lot of work to do on on the Mali side, and I guess just one to keep an eye on because their women's team um, made headlines for potentially the wrong reasons a couple of years ago. But they've been they've been plugging away, and you know they've got the men's side on the field now. So yeah, I, th- I think they're they're working hard uh, in some pretty challenging conditions, uh, both in terms of you know the sporting landscape in Mali and and the lack of. Um, you know, funding and support available, uh, and, and you know they, they have to make their own cricket bats and and you know try and find places to play wherever they can and and all that sort of thing. But also, you know, the the political situation and and a lot of uh, kind of instability and um, various other problems uh, in the country as well. So I, I think just the fact that you know they're able to put together a team who who can. Um, you know, compete is uh, that that's admirable. So yeah, hopefully we see more of them in the future, and and they're not just a, a flash in the pan. Yeah, and just quickly uh, looking at sub regional B to wrap up here that begins on December 1 so uh, already on there and on ICC TV if you're looking for that and also being played in Kigali at the Gahunga Stadium the best cricket ground in the world nothing comes close Cameroon, Eswatini, Gambia, Ghana Mozambique, Nigeria, Sierra Leone 
and Tanzania. Uh, the top two progress from that group as well. Tanzania, roaring favourites, but yeah, it's a tough one, I think, for, for looking at, at, at second. You know, the likes, I think Nigeria maybe uh, would, would edge the, the rest, but don't really say that with a whole lot of confidence. But looking forward to that and a few more heroes, I'm sure, to, uh, to come out of that tournament as well. Yeah, you'd think Nigeria have the quality to, to get past um, the, the rest of the teams, although, you know, Ghana and Sierra Leone have, have showed a bit in the past. Mozambique's interesting. They're missing a couple of their senior players in um, Felipe Cosa, who's been captain for a while, and, and Francisco Kuana, who's both their highest run scorer and second highest wicket taker in uh, T20I cricket. So a, a, a pillar of strength for them with, with bat and ball. So how they go without those guys is going to be interesting, and I'm, I'm not quite sure why they're missing. So hopefully nothing untoward going on, but uh, yeah, you know, here's hoping they can find a way to, to fill the gap in their lineup. As mentioned, that tournament, like all the Pathway events on ICC TV, live and free as well. That wraps up the Emerging Cricket Podcast for this week. Thanks for joining me again, Nick. Pleasure, Bez, and uh, great to be chatting about a whole lot of cricket, as always. Log on to EmergingCricket.com for all the news, and as mentioned, we are everywhere across social media and your favourite listening podcast spots. That's everything in the Emerging Game this week. Thanks for catching up with Nick and myself, Daniel Beswick, but for now, it's goodbye.